Are you a fan of the race radio? I much prefer the iPod. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to Episode 6 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist will coordinate their kit better than their partner dresses. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who prefers music in their ear over a manager. The podcast. It is on iTunes. You can subscribe by going to semiprocycling.com and clicking on the picture. Thanks. Also, if you like the show, please take some time out and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you very much. Well, the big news of this week is the Olympics, the track events and the time trial. And yes, this is me standing up giving an ovation to Britain. She. Great Britain, well done. I've got to say, it was an amazing, an amazing effort by Britain. The Aussies didn't even get a look in. Now, that's a bit, that's a hell of a shame. I'm not going to really comment on that. They've just got to look at their program or whatever. Australians are talented, talented cyclists. But Great Britain just lifted the level to a whole other place. It was pretty amazing. World records being smashed everywhere. Everyone pulling out personal bests. It was pretty incredible to watch. I have, I have not seen the dominance like this for a long, long time. The next question for me, obviously, is how long can they maintain this for? They have worked this program probably for the last eight years. I'm just taking a guess there. I don't know how much money they've actually put into this program. But it was similar to Australia. Australia did well in the 2000s. I remember the lead-up to the 2000s where money was just being thrown at athletes left, right and centre. But as soon as it was over, it was cut pretty dramatically. Is the same thing going to happen here? And is Britain just going to fall away? I really hope not because if Australia can get really pissed off at what's happened, then we can start making some changes and then lifting the level of cycling up again i'm excited about this it's exciting times and i was a little bummed at first because australia couldn't match them if the technology trickles down to other nations i think other nations are going to benefit from this as well so well done i just have another quick thing i just want to mention the tour de france again only in, in regards to us or me going next year for the 100th edition of the tour are you interested I'd love anybody out there to come along with me. I think it'd be a blast. We can just talk shit, have fun, party, ride bikes, do it all. Instead of sitting at home watching it in the cold, we can all be hanging out together doing it. I don't know how this is going to happen yet. I've got some ideas in my head as to what we can do and, and how we can put this together. But I would love to know if you're interested and, and some feedback on what accommodation you would be keen for and what type of riding you'd want to do. I've got a form up at the website, semiprocycling.com slash tour hyphen de hyphen france go and check it out fill it in for me i'll get back to you after i hear from you i'm trying to gather all this information over the next few months and then see what's possible so let's get to the nuts and bolts and the topic today is it another excuse to buy a new bike this has been something that i've been speaking about with my friends for a long time i could feel the push of this sort of coming through We're talking about cyclocross, or I'm going to refer to it as cross, just like everyone else. It's really new here in Australia. Is it going to blow up? Are you going to want a new bike very, very shortly? I think you're going to get excited. The pictures and everything that are coming out are really, really exciting. It's nearly cross season uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. I'm certainly more interested. I'm going to take more note of it. My curiosity has been aroused. 
have a quick listen to this clip. It's a very unique sport. It's not uh, like any other discipline of cycling. A bunch of skinny dorks riding around on road bikes in the dirt. <laughs> it's like the sideshow, but it's, it's great. It's a good time. Everyone I'm racing against is in the same situation as me. They're not making much money. They're doing it because they like it. It's the love of the sport that makes you really want to go out and do it. I don't have a definitive answer why I race my bike. It's just I like it. I'm good at it. Yeah, this one more cult, this one more little punk rock clique to belong to, you know, cyclocross. Basically, I'm not going to get into what cyclocross is. I'm going to leave a wiki for that. I'm going to. I will go into a little bit of a, about Australian cyclocross, though. I'm not an expert on this, but I have some friends that have been racing, and I and I have some interest in the whole series and how it's been developing over the last few years. So the current situation is that we are in the middle of Australia's first ever six race national series. It's pretty exciting that all these cycling bodies have been able to come together to kind of make this happen. I guess it is a bit of a trial, but so far it seems to be working. There's two races that have already been held in Victoria. Race 3 and 4 in Adelaide coming up on the 11th and 12th of August, and then race 5 and 6 will be in Sydney on the 29th of September and the 30th of September. We'll see what the turnout for those races is like, but if it's anything like the first two, it's going to, mean, it's going to be in a bit of a shake-up. I think there's going to get more tension and hype built over the summer. People are going to be building their bikes, and then they're going to be ready to hit it hard next winter. It's going to be really fascinating to, to watch the change and watch the scene develop because we're right now, we're, we're at grassroots and we're right at the start of something that I think is going to blow up. And the reason I do think it's going to blow up, well, there's plenty of reasons to love cross as a sport overall, you know, as a spectator, as a family member or whatever, because the racing times are short. Now, I know they're intense, but a short race means that you're not totally embarrassing yourself. The format, it's got such a wide appeal that... Not only does it sit at the intersection between road and mountain bike, because it is short, for me it feels like it's a race for the masses. Like everyone has raced in summer road crits and everyone that has can attest to the popularity of these races. And I think this is the very reason, well the very reason that crits are going to be popular is the same reason I think cyclocross can have big number races. And for me it all comes down how much training you have to do to compete one of these races. It's not necessarily to do well and win the race, but it's just enough to keep going without embarrassing yourself. The potential variable in road races is massive so if you have a 30 minute to an hour race especially ones used on a small circle circuit not on a long road out in the middle of nowhere then it's exciting you can get people in there you can get an atmosphere you can get excited about racing and you can feel like you're part of the action and you're just out there having fun balls out doing it enjoying yourself i think that's the most important thing and it's going to catch on i really feel it's going to catch on now, I've just been in a little bit of digging around, see, see what people have been saying in this. And Dirty Deeds, I see it as the premier series over last year. And this year, it seems like it's the event that's getting the most coverage, partly because they held number one and two of the national series. I'm going to just read a, a quick quote from a comments that I found on Cycling Tips. That I, He sums it up perfectly, and, and I feel exactly the same way. I think the opportunity lies in targeting the crit riders and the MTB riders who see the winter as a good period somewhere between June and August, including bridging into the edges of the adjoining months as the off-season or the downtime of their preferred bikes, but also in simply having the events out there and on the calendar as an option for people. Tired of riding in the rain, embrace the weather and set up a cross bike and go play in the mud. It's places like Melbourne, Tasmania, Adelaide and Canberra. This is another way to get your fix. 
I can totally agree with this. The only way that I have survived winters in the past is by turning it into a battle of the hard man and having a few weekly rides in adverse conditions and actually thriving on the challenge. This is the next level of that. Racing in the cold and the mud. How fun does that sound? I actually did a cyclocross race that was put on in Canberra a few years back. There has been a couple of races, but I, yeah, I built it up an old an old bike and did it. It had down tube shifters. It was a bit of a hindrance, but it was fun. It was it was hard and intense. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to more of it. What I'm going to look at today is making the transition from other forms of cycling, you know, mainly road and, and mountain biking, and what skills you need to think about and incorporate into your training programs, and what ones will make the greatest difference for the least effort, 80-20. Just quickly, what are the differences between cyclocross racing and road and MTB? Basically, things like the event length, where cyclocross is 30 minutes to an hour. Bike handling skills for cyclocross include getting off and running, and that never happens on road races. Sometimes in hiker bike, in longer mountain bike races it will. The effort put out in cross races is dictated by the course as much as the other races. Cyclocross tactics in generally do not play. It's more like a mountain bike race where it's just balls out, going hard as you can for the entire race. And the cross season, well the cross season here is tipped to run from April to September where the road here is April to December and the mountain biking is October to March. So these are the differences. Training, the general routine for cross shouldn't be that different from what you might do in road or mountain bike season with, with the exception of your workouts on foot running. As with any event in cycling, you want to train specifically for the discipline. So if we have a look at cyclocross as a race, then we can see that all you're doing basically is just going hard. And if you want to mimic the frequency, duration, and intensity of the efforts of the race in your training, this basically becomes what your training is. What does that mean in cyclocross? Well, the physiological demands of cyclocross are hard, and you have to design workouts that mimic the power demands of the event. If you look at the data from an average cyclocross race, you can look that a long stretch of power output can be 20 to 30 seconds and at its most where most segments are just short sharp 4, 8, 10 seconds at 125 to 200% greater than your power threshold a third of the race is at anaerobic and another third at less than 170 watts so you're looking at basically flat stick or nothing that's a pretty tough way to do it you're using a lot of strength to get back up to speed or you're running or you're doing an obstacle so that on and off power you're not only doing it while you're riding a bike but while you're jumping on and running and avoiding other riders mud whatever it's a pretty lethal combination it sounds fun three ways to make a successful transition to your cross season looking at this through race starts running and skills if we start with race starts the starts in cyclocross are unlike road racing where the final lap is the most important often in cyclocross the first lap and getting the whole shot is the key to having a great race being able to clip in and sprint from the gun are important techniques to learn while it is similar to mountain bike and you have to do the exact same thing in mountain biking the short duration and the short and the width of the actual track in cyclocross make this fairly important. So we look at it a bit further. Races go from 80 beats per minute to 180 beats per minute and then hold that intensity for the rest of the race. So that effort translates into a sprint. Even if it's followed by efforts at VO2 max and eventually functional threshold power, your start is super hard and super important. So start with your strong side foot up every time at the 2 o'clock position. Make sure that the other pedal is turned to a position that's parallel to the crank so that when you put your foot down that it's on the way up and you can click in your other foot when you begin to push down on the pedal stroke. You've got two choices. Now this is going over the basics a little bit just to continually get you thinking about analyzing every single part of your race. Two choices for starting technique. Number one is to sit in the saddle with one foot on the ground. You have to have a foot on the ground either way. On your tippy toes right next to the pedal and you 
ready to step in quickly. Number two is to stand over the top tube, ready to push off with the foot that's on the ground before you clip in. You're likely to start on the hoods instead of the drops because it allows you to shift quickly and wait around easier. Number two is my preferred option. It is on the mountain bike. So before you even get to the position for the start, you should have your starting gear already chosen. Make sure you know these things. Do not assume anything. Start announcements in Australia... I've checked in the tech regs. The start announcements will be made at 1 minute, 30 seconds, and 15 seconds before the start. And the start can be announced at any time after the 15 second warning by a pistol shot or a whistle. So you have to be ready to go at any time. So you're sitting there waiting. You have to be on edge, ready to go. Do not think you have any opportunity to look around because it could go off at any time and you can be unprepared. This has happened to me. It's crap. It ruins your whole race. So let's get down to actually practicing the race starts start on an imaginary start line at a local cross course or something that you've set up and accelerate as hard as you can clipping into the pedal as smoothly as you can go hard for a minute try 125 percent of your threshold power hard or even 150 percent attempt to click into the pedal quickly and shift down through the gears as you accelerate until you reach your top speed add a barrier section to this one minute race simulation a deceleration acceleration or a run-up combine all the technical elements of cross into this full gas effort because there's a big difference in your technical skills between going easy and then going full tilt. We'll get the technical skills just a little bit further in the podcast, but after the initial one minute, keep the pressure on and perform two or three hot laps while working on your technical cross skills. Because racing is so short, breaking it down like this becomes so much more important. It may seem a bit wanky at first just to go out and practice these starts, but believe me, it will make a difference. So go out, give it a shot, and let me know how effective you're finding it. Okay, running. It's the biggest 80-20 on the list that I have here. A little training turns a place of once painful suffering into a place of attack. Don't begin any running training until your last road or mountain bike event of the year. A mountain bike racer might be able to handle it a bit sooner and may even include running as part of their plan already. But for a road ride, nothing will kill your leg speed worse than running. So as long as you can, avoid it. I have always been told that running is the worst thing you can do for leg speed. I know that we did speak a couple of podcasts ago about pedaling technique and you might not want to be sitting at 100 RPM or whatever. The important thing is though, you do need that speed when you are sprinting or you're climbing hills. So strategically place this into your program. Don't just start running willy-nilly in the middle of your road season. So when you do start running, you should be able to run for about 20 minutes consistently without any pain or soreness. You can build this up to about 45 minutes over the course of the season, but no more. Time should increase in five-minute increments as your running and fitness improves, and always wait until the soreness subsides before you undertake another running workout. This comes back to stretching. You've got to stretch. I would recommend stretching beforehand, getting on that roller, working out those hip flexors and ITBs, also working out the hamstrings and the glutes, because believe it or not, the hip area is going to start causing you knee problems, especially if you're doing hard work on the bike and you're not doing any stretches. Once you can actually run for 20 minutes, it's time to start adding some speed to the equation. Again, if you're running parts of cyclocross can be broken down, it usually happens in short bursts, fewer than 20 seconds. So To specifically prepare this for you, you need to do short bursts in your training where you're at a maximum intensity for about 
15 seconds or so, and the longest run should be in a well-designed cross course is about 80 meters. Think about that when you're looking at where you're going to be doing this training. Do some uphill running intervals in your off-road cycling shoes, in the shoes you're actually going to be racing in. Yes, not running shoes. Start easier at first and then work up your speed, focusing on making the most of the traction of your cleats on steep and loose terrain. This is practice and training in itself to get used to those bloody shoes when you're running on them. So try them without carrying the bike at first. I think this is important. Just to get your technique down so you can get a feel for how how to do it without thinking about the other variable of a bike on your shoulders swinging around. And and if you don't even know how to carry properly, then that's going to distract you even more. Later, you can add the extra weight and the burden of the bike on your shoulder. So here's the workout. Find a steep hill, ideally off-road, that takes you about 10 to 15 seconds to sprint up. You're aiming for 100% effort from rest, with the sprints being no closer than one every two minutes. How many you do depends on how many quality efforts you're able to complete. If you start feeling like you're going downhill, not literally, then pull out of it. You want to get 100% efforts. You don't want to stuff around and, and not even get your heart rate up there or get your legs pumping at race pace. There's no point. Just go home, call an early two ways you can approach these efforts. Number one is to start the workout without your bike where you simply jog at a light intensity to your sprinting spot and then once you've done you jog home. Number two is to do it as part of a cross ride where you want to warm up on your bike and then include the dismount and mount as part of your sprinting effort. You can go between the two efforts depending on this. If your technique is good and you want to isolate the specific fitness aspect of the sprint then go for number one. If you feel that you need to work on your skills and ability to run well with the bike on your shoulder then go for number two. You can vary these depending on how your confidence is going over the season and switch between the two depending on how you're feeling for the day as well. Speaking of skills, this is all going to be something that is super new to Australians. Not the guys that have been probably at it for a couple of years but they're the keen beans, you know. Here I'm trying to talk to every single person that's thinking about it or maybe interested in doing cyclocross and doesn't know where to get resources from. What I'm going to do with the skill stuff, I'm just going to do a brief outline on what I see as the main five areas to work on. And I'll pop some links to some YouTube clips so you can investigate it a little further. There's no point in me digging into it. I'm not an expert in this field and I'm not trying to be. I do think that practicing techniques, one intense day of training per week, is plenty for the average racer to make greater gains on the race course. Better transitions, cornering, sand riding techniques, they cannot be achieved by training fitness alone. If you're not out there racing every single week and you don't have races weekend on weekend on weekend, then you're going to need to do some of this stuff. But the five areas to work on, number one, mounts and dismounts. It's one of the most important time savers a new rider can learn is how to mount and dismount. It's counterintuitive at first. It's awkward. It feels funny. Even jumping on a saddle is a technique on its own. It looks pretty gnarly on the balls, but uh, once you got it down, you're not touching him it doesn't actually hurt unless you make a mistake or you slip over or whatever but it's fine number two off camber turns many races uh, have set up taped off camber turns making it impossible to escape them typically ending up in a pile on the first lap it's great to learn which is the best line to take and practice going through them so you're not riding on the brakes and you have enough speed to get out of them and even if you fall knowing how to get up and get out of there and running quickly number three barriers every race will have them so the more you can practice your barriers technique, the less chance you have at losing teeth by tripping over heavy wooden barriers at races. Barriers, max height, they're going to be 40 centimeters at max height. You can look at a couple of ways of getting over them. Number one is dismount and run over them, planting the bike down with force and then making the jump easier when you're exiting. Number two, 
bunny hopping, one wheel at a time. Number three, completely clearing the barriers, which is something you could only do if the barriers are far enough apart. Number four, run-ups. Running up short, steep hills, shouldering the bike is hard, but there are ways to make it easier, like properly shouldering the bike so it isn't forcing you to hunch over or hitting you in the back of the head. And remounting at the top right away rather than pausing for air is an important skill to practice. Number five, cornering. Going into corners is one thing, but coming out in another, we're talking about that up to speed as quickly as possible. So you want to go in quick, you want to maintain that speed, and then you want to be able to gas out of there as quickly as possible. So the workout, if we're looking at a workout once a week, we're looking at a 60-minute technique workout. Choose two skills per session, dismounting, remounting, whatever. i got a quick acronym to help you get over obstacles. It's from a guy called Jeff Proctor, a cyclocross coach. Just remember this word. Are you ready? Gape. G is for gear. Enter the transition. Any section that requires a dismount is a transition. Get into the gear that you want to exit in. A is for approach. To dismount, slow, unclip one foot. Swing that leg back around to the side from which you want to dismount and unclip the other foot. P, portage. Grab the center of the down shoe with your right hand and lift the bike onto your shoulder, keeping the left hand on your handlebar. Then reach under the tube and grab the left handlebar drop freeing your left hand and remount after clearing the obstacle. E is for explode out of the transition. Just a quick side note, some type of strength program is really going to help you out here. There are loads of bodyweight exercises you don't really need to get into the gym. I'll put a link to some good resources that you can check out if you want to put together some type of program that's going to help you. It's a little bit more physical in some senses. It's new muscles that you'll be using in cyclocross, so you may need to work on those guns. Okay, let's get to the tech, hacks, and products section. This week we're looking at the Sportis. I think that's how you say it. It's some type of infrared device that you attach to your sunglasses, which gives an indication through a light of whether you're sitting either in your power zone or your heart rate zone or your speed, I think you can do there. The idea is that you adjust this thing on your computer. Oh, I do think they have some apps as well. You you set the parameters as far as what heart rate you want to sit in or is optimal for a race. And then this thing flashes up a green light that you can see without having to check your heart rate monitor or your watch or looking down at all and it can tell you exactly where you are sitting and if you drop out of that range or you're above that range it's a really interesting concept it's a bit clunky and it's brand new technology i think this well they claim i don't know whether this is the first time that someone has actually developed this technology i was expecting some type of flash where you know like having a speed like sometimes you have the cars that are flashing up the speed on the actual windshield of the car i was expecting something like that on the glasses that may be next step the trouble is the google glasses could just trump this thing but i'm not slamming it it's a really interesting idea. I don't know whether I would personally use it, but having something as an indicator to free your brain from even looking down and calculating what heart rate you're in and what zone you're in, this is the future of automatic devices telling you exactly where you should be, and all you have to concentrate is on riding and getting into that zone. I'll be honest, I'm not going to purchase it. I'm not too interested in it, but I thought it was interesting, and I thought it's worth bringing it to the attention of it everyone listening to this podcast so they could just know where technology's at and where it's going. Speaking of technology, things like last year, the video that I saw, I think it was a Cervelo, uh, I don't know the bike brand, but I saw this technology last year where they were changing gears with the guy's brain. They were using Shimano DI2 derailleur and battery, etc. And they hooked it up to this guy's brain waves and he could actually change the gears with his brain. Stuff like this is the absolute future. We'll see how far it gets because the UCI is pretty quick to clamp down on things and as soon as they clamp down on things then they disappear forever and there's no use. Sometimes they slip over to triathlon 
but that's that's just triathlon compared to cycling. I'm not going there. Check it out, see how you go, and please get back to me if, if you do like it. Or if you even own the company, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more of a background behind it. So let's get to the quote from the top of the show. It's Stewie. Did you recognize him? It's Stewie talking about race radios. Was the Olympic road race any better because there wasn't any radios? You tell me. I don't know. I think having a manager screaming in your ear and pretending that, that you're a robot would be pretty tough as a domestic, but I've never been one, so I couldn't tell. You tell me. And that's it. So till next time, get on your bike, enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. Whichever one you're into.